0: If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, we'll be reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 23. Philippians 4. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Euodia and I employ Santiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice of the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now you, list, you Philipp, you Philipp, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you said aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Righteous are you, O Lord, and your words are true. The statutes you give us are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. Our zeal for your word gives strength. It also causes us sadness because your enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested and we love you. Though we are lowly and despised, we don't forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting and your law true. We have faced many troubles and been distressed because of your word, but we delight in your word and in the life that it brings. Your statutes are forever and right and Give us understanding of your word this day, that we may live. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, our text is Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the climax of verses 11 and 12. This was Paul's discussion about contentment. He showed us that in every condition of life, we are driven back to the truths of scripture as the solid ground in which our lives are founded. He made it clear. God reveals himself through his word and through his word only. He shows himself to be the creator, the creator of all things, the sovereign ruler of all things the father of his people, he chose by his own will and good pleasure. He called each one who were called, he called them as his. He called them to be his, to be in fellowship with him. And not one of them, not one, deserved what he gave them. They were totally unworthy. They were unworthy and yet, He adopted them as his children by his grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. And once you're his, no circumstance of this life can change that fact. Paul shows your relationship to the Heavenly Father comes only through his decree. The decree that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to die the atoning death, and to win the resurrection victory. That same decree gave you a new heart and a new spirit and the Holy Spirit to guide you. Therefore, you must live in the circumstances he prepared for you, placing your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ and all he did for you. The apostle also gave us a quick look into his experiences. It was here he learned how to be content. This 13th verse is his examination result, if you will. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's some kind of testimony, isn't it? The thing you must not forget here, as you look into the meaning of this verse, is that Paul is a man just like us. He wasn't any different than we are. He has all the same passions, desires, and needs as we have. He was a sinner, saved by grace, just like we are. He has the same deprived nature all other men have. He was just as distorted by sin as you and me. He was subject to all the things that we are. are Peer pressures, persecutions, loneliness, rejection, weakness of body and mind, diseases, distractions, and infirmities of age. He knew them all. It is our tendency to take men like Paul the other apostles and great preachers and say they have something we don't have but that allows them to do the things they do. But that's not true. They are all men, human beings just like us. Remember Paul was writing this letter from a Roman prison changed to a Roman soldier all day and all night under the possible sentence of death. Yet he took pen in hand, and he wrote this wonderful letter. He wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These are great words of comfort and joy. They should inspire everyone who hears them to look at life with a new sense of hope, a new sense of assurance. So let's turn our attention this morning to this one very powerful and very important verse. First, we will examine the concept that I can do all things. Second, we will study why we fail in trying to do all things. Third, we will discover what we do is through Christ giving us the power. Paul, through his trials, tribulations, and blessings, has come to believe I can do all things. The first thing that should come to most people's mind, would be, how in the world can this be true? In this verse, you can learn how the Bible must not be used. It is really true. Is it really true when people say, I can do all things through Christ? Is that true? Could Paul really do all things? Did he really believe what he says here? Well, speaking to what he could and couldn't do, I don't think he could do all things. Could he release himself from prison? If so, why didn't he? Could he have simply taken off his chains? If he could, why didn't he? John Gwynne Thomas, one of the early 20th century uh, English pastors, asked, Could he have not removed his chains as the angel removed Peter's chains in Jerusalem? Why could he not get rid of his thorn in the flesh? He prayed and asked God to take it away. So what did he mean by these words? As has already been mentioned, this shows us how the Bible should not be used. You must never, I mean never, read the Bible taking a single promise, statement, or testimony of an apostle out of its context. I am sure most people who've heard this verse at one time or another, would say, I believe God so I can do it. But you find you can't do it as much as you want to. Christian or non-Christian cannot succeed unless they do the work and God gives them the ability. Okay, what did Paul mean? The truth is the Bible must be read in its context. You have to read the Bible in light of its overall message, the book, the chapter, the verse. What Paul has been speaking about in this verse, in this book, in this chapter leading up to this verse, he was dealing with the question of living in a variety of circumstances such as poverty, abundance, hunger, want. This verse is the climax of these things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's showing these Philippians is that he is through this strength able to face and deal with any and all circumstances that come his way. In other words, whatever God sends him, God gives the strength for him to deal with it. As a child of God, he can live in peace and fellowship with his heavenly father regardless of the circumstances. He can accomplish whatever is needed to carry out God's purpose in his life, regardless of what kind of circumstances might come up. Whatever temptations, whatever trials, whatever pressures, physical or mental, whatever afflictions, yes, even success and poverty, with all the temptations that come with them, it doesn't matter. If he was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day or a boat on the middle of the Mediterranean Sea in the midst of a great storm, it doesn't matter. Paul says he learned. In all of these situations, that through Christ, he could carry out the purposes of God and live as a child of God through all circumstances. That is what he meant by these wonderful words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pastor Gwen Thomas says, what we hear Paul say is that in every circumstance, be they particular or general He has learned the secret of contentment. The author of this secret is none other than the Christ who strengthens him. Whatever needs to be done, as Philippians 3.9 says, Paul can do through faith in Christ. He can do all things through the indwelling presence of Christ's spirit and by spirit-wrought faith and vital union and intimate fellowship with his Lord and Savior. God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when he was talking about the the thorn in his flesh, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul learned that Christ's grace is sufficient for him, and God's power rests on him. This promise is stronger than anything you can face. You don't face anything like what Paul faced. Paul explains in 2 Timothy 4.17, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. Paul saw Jesus. He saw him as his great enabler. As he points out in 1 Timothy 1.12, Thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. What we learn from this is that Christ is the source of our wisdom, our encouragement, and our energy. He alone can infuse you with strength for every need. This is why Paul can declare in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now there's a practical side to this statement. We saw that it was that it is wrong to take these words out of the context in which they rest. We have heard Paul's testimony. How we have to ask the question: Why do we fail? You can read these words. You can be very impressed by them. I think most people are. It's easy to take situations in our lives and think we have properly applied these words. And feel as though we're riding the wave of success. Paul was saying he could do all things, whatever the circumstances. Pastor Gwen Thomas asked why there are so many times we fail. Why do we fail? I want to give you, from Pastor Gwen Thomas's notes, four reasons as to why we fail in applying this principle in our lives. First, there is without any doubt in Christianity today a very serious misunderstanding of what Christianity is really all about. Over the last century and a half, many people have been taught that Christian life, the Christian life, runs on automatic. you get plugged in, you're there this has become an impression that many churches are teaching today. They are taught that the very minute, the very minute they accept Jesus Christ by walking the aisle, raising their hand, praying the sinner's prayer, everything, everything in their life from that point on is fixed as far as God is concerned. They believe that nothing can cause them problems. Nothing can trip them up. They look at the Christian life kind of like the weeds in your garden. Those weeds seem to just grow on their own without any effort involved. But my friends, you must understand, the Christian life is not like that at all. There is nothing automatic about the spiritual life. We're not like the computer, where you just turn it on and press a few buttons and everything is done. No. No. <coughs> God calls us to think and to work at making our lives better through the study of and commitment to his word. Second, we find a problem in many churches with cheap grace. The German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed in a Nazi death camp, was asked how the German people allowed Hitler to come to power. His answer was very quick and very simple. He said cheap grace That is still a very big and dangerous problem in churches today. What is cheap grace? Bonhoeffer says cheap grace is an approach to Christianity that only emphasizes the good or easy parts without telling the truth regarding the difficult aspect of it. And most of you who have joined this church know I talk about and I try to tell people when they come in that there is A hard part of Christianity is not the easy life. It's difficult. You have to fight for it. You have to fight for the faith that you have. You could say, cheap grace is like being forgiven without having to repent. Another term for it believism. Calling someone to do something to earn their salvation that Scripture does not call for. Such as walking around, raising your hand, whatever. You could call this cheap grace a half-hearted Christianity. They do away with the requirements of Scripture and the plan of God. They really remove God from the whole process. They say God has done everything that has to be done to make it possible for you to choose which way you want to go. Your salvation is totally up to you. That is not... The biblical way of salvation, as we shall see in a moment. Third, we find another misunderstanding in that people have the idea that unless they give the impression to others that the Christian life is like a long holiday, then they have failed and they're dishonoring God. There can be little doubt this is a very serious mistake. Look at the life of the apostles. Paul gives a good picture of the kind of things they all went through. Had you followed Paul around through those years of his ministry, you would have seen at certain times, for him, the Christian life was not a holiday. It certainly wasn't a bed of roses. He was persecuted, afflicted, and there were people who were just flat out jealous of him. You would also have seen that he was cast out of many towns and out of many Jewish synagogues. He was a man under great pressure. And I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure, at times you would have found Paul on his knees in prayer, seeking God's help in taking away these afflictions. You could not, after having seen all this, said his Christianity was a life of ease. I don't believe Paul was a man with a perpetual smile. You might remember, even our Lord was a man of grief, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You can see it in this, this paradox. It's a strange and inexplicable mystery of the Christian life. Despite the experience of trials and temptations, there's an underlying peace and an underlying joy. Because so many people have a wrong understanding of this Christian life, they go about putting up a front for others to see that it's not really realistic. You've run into them, I'm sure. They go about putting up an unbelievable front about how grave Christian they are. We know that in our salvation, God is moving. He's the moving agent. He's the one that causes things to happen, as well as the guide and the director of our life under his salvation. Fourth, we fall short of true grace at times. Because we do not take the time to wrestle with God over our reaction to his will and purpose for our life. A true Christianity is built upon faith. And what is faith? Faith is simply put, believing God. It's always pushing us to grow and apply our faith in every circumstance we face. Faith ought to be what we come against life with. Because we don't have anything else. It can never be enough simply to say, I believe in Christ, and go out and grumble and complain about everything. You can't find such a Christian life in the pages of the Bible. It's very important that you understand. There will be times in your life things will clash between what you think God should do and what God actually does. Have you been there? These will often be two different things. What such times call for is reconciliation. That means a real bending of your will to the will of God. What we see in this is conflict within your will and God's will. When this conflict arises, what we have to do is go to God and say to God as Job did. I don't understand you. We have to confront God. Why do we confront God? So he can lead us to the truth. We have to ask him to give us a change of heart. We have to seek from God words we can pray about. Here is where this is all leading us. Unless we approach each situation we face with a real desire to know the will of God for our lives, we will fail in everything we try. Instead of, I can do all things, we will be saying, I can do nothing right. True Christianity is founded on commitment. Christianity is it's, it's all of commitment. That's all it is, is commitment. John, in John 3.16, makes a commitment to everyone who places their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. He also calls you to make a commitment to Christ in your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Without God's commitment to you and without your commitment to Jesus, you can never know salvation. It's that simple. Without the salvation grounded in commitment, You will constantly fail, but with it, you will declare as Paul does, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now please understand this. We all struggle and we all fall flat on our face every day. We can't follow God's word perfectly. What you can do is you can make a commitment to Jesus Christ that I want to do everything I can to bring honor and glory to your name through my life. And when you fall flat on your face, what do you do? You get up and repent. And you say, forgive me, Father. And he does. And you keep going. Commitment is sticking to the task, not giving up when it gets hard. The lesson we need to learn here is that it is Christ who gives us the power to live this Christian life. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The clear implication is that this is not a natural gift which he was born with, nor is it a characteristic of his personality. This came from Jesus Christ. Jesus was the enabling power, the one who empowered him to live this life, the one who strengthened him with his Lord Jesus Christ. His picture of this came not because he was looking at himself or looking at his own resources, but he was looking at Jesus Christ And to Jesus Christ alone. It was Christ who was his helper. He was the one who was empowering him. It was Christ who enabled him to live in the victory of Christianity. Pastor Gwen Thomas says, this immediately takes us right into the realm of God. What we see in Paul is a man who believed while he was traveling the Roman Empire and preaching the gospel everywhere. While he was on a ship that was bringing him to Rome, he was trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. While he sat in a prison, waiting his execution, he was constantly aware that what he did, he did by the strength of Christ. He knew it was God, the eternal, the everlasting, the almighty, the sovereign God who was empowering him. The thing that causes us so many problems in living this Christian life is unbelief. Do we really believe that God actually empowers us? Paul shows that he believes that Jesus constantly and daily provides the resources he needs for life. This is where every Christian must come to a complete trust in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. The gospel is very simple. We make it hard, but it's really very simple. It's placing your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ as the one sent from God the Father to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He came and lived the perfect life we were required by the law to live, and we couldn't. He died the atoning death, which was the atonement for our sins that we couldn't make either. And he won the resurrection victory that opened heaven's gate for us to come in. It's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Don't place your hope, your trust in anything but Jesus Christ. It's not Christ plus the church you go to. It's not Christ plus the works you do. It is in Christ and Christ alone. Place your hope in him. You're going to fall flat on your face every time you turn around. But you keep looking to Christ and trusting in Christ, for he said he would forgive you. All you have to do is confess your sin, and he will be faithful and just, and he will forgive you. How is it? that Paul could believe this. He could believe this because he believed what the scripture says about Jesus and about his salvation being in Christ. He believed he was a new creature in Jesus Christ. He believed his salvation was a supernatural event. He believed he was saved by grace through faith and that it was a gift from God and that he had nothing, absolutely nothing, he could boast in but the grace of Jesus Christ. In Christ, he had a new resource, new desires, and new vision that he was indeed a new man in Jesus Christ. He believed that through the Holy Spirit, God gave him the right and the potential to live as a child of God. He believed that in Christ he was born anew and saw that his weakness no longer caused despair. He addressed this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, when he said, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then I am strong. Those are wonderful words. Paul knew he was born again. In this new state, He saw his weaknesses, so he turns to God to provide the resources he needs to give him the power to overcome them. Also, in recognizing he was a new creature in Christ, he understood that by enabling God's God's Spirit, all of these new resources would come and grow in him and help him to live a better Christian life. This is something you must learn to do. Go back to God. Go back about your weaknesses and pray. Look back to your new birth, regeneration, whatever you call your salvation. Because this is where your new life began. What we need to recognize is that the Holy Spirit who lives in our heart is the spirit of power. Today there has been so many ideas about the Holy Spirit put forward until the true understanding of him has been perverted. The power of the Holy Spirit has been set in the terms of the extraordinary, such as as gifts of the Spirit, healings, tongues, and vi- visible miracles that He may work through us, in or in us through them. What you have to understand is it is not the biblical emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not right. That's not what we need to be looking at with the Spirit. Don't look at the gifts. Don't look at the miracles. Don't look at the wonders. Pastor Gwen Thomas says, what the Bible teaches is that the power of the Spirit is more related to the lives of Christians than to the extra gifts and signs. We must be careful, very careful, that we don't forget what the Holy Spirit will send into this world to do. Pastor Gwen Thomas says, he has come to enable us to live as the children of God, to empower us so that we might live to God's glory in the circumstances in which he has placed us. The Holy Spirit was sent to be our counselor, our helper, and our comforter. He was the What was the greatest work of the Holy Spirit? The greatest work of the Holy Spirit. It has to be the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead and delivering him from the grave. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that life was returned to Jesus' dead body. It was the Spirit's power that raised and transformed him into his resurrected body, which ascended into heaven. Can you think of anything greater than this? I couldn't think of anything greater than this. The Holy Spirit doesn't do works of entertainment for men to be amazed at. That's not his purpose. He doesn't do signs and wonders for our amusement. He works in the human body by calling men to come to Jesus Christ and follow him. If you are saved... If you are saved, he has already worked in your heart and changed your heart. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he wrought this great miracle in you. This miracle that brought you to life so you could live unto God. There is no greater miracle than the saving of a sinner from sin. Jesus in John 14, 12 says... Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now you stop and think about this. Think about all the miracles Jesus did, the healings, the raising from the dead, the feeding of thousands with little. And you wonder, you wonder how in the world can I do greater things than these? You can't. But these were not what Jesus meant. That's not what he was talking about. He was referring to the saving of souls. When Jesus was raised from the grave, there were approximately 120 saved souls at dawn on the first Pentecost. By the end of that day, through the preaching of Peter, there were thousands. We do the work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit as we witness to the lost. The work of the Holy Spirit was to bring conversion to the lost and dying of this world. Why are you interested in God? The heart, the answer is that God changed your heart. He made a big change in your heart. Turned it from stone to flesh. This is the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. The unregenerate of this world are governed by their senses. They live and worship only the things they can see with their eyes. Stephen, remember Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, looked up and saw what none of his attackers could see. He saw Jesus waiting for him at the gate of heaven. Many of the martyrs over the centuries have seen things by faith that caused them to be willing, willing to give up everything, including their life, for Jesus Christ. Who is it? Who is it that has been able to transform unsaved men? So that they willingly live for the unseen things. So that the eternal things become more valuable to them than the things of this world, even their own lives. This change can only be wrought in any man by the Spirit of God. Paul said. I can do all things through Christ. What Paul means is that being in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit who is empowering, enabling, and quickening you, you can do all things he has prepared for you to do. It is this Holy Spirit that gives you the power to put to death the old flesh and gives you the strength of the new body. Therefore, we see that it is the fundamental work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live for Christ. Here's what it means to be a Christian. We're the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit resides in that temple. He is there to enable us to live our lives for Jesus Christ. You must examine yourself before God. Ask yourself, how am I quenching the power of the Spirit? You must take your faith seriously because if you're not living by faith, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. You must seek the knowledge of all Christ did for you. Know him as the sovereign Lord, the almighty God, and your heavenly Father. He controls this world and all of the circumstances of it. He cares for you. He will not afflict you without a loving purpose, nor will he test you above what you can handle. He loves you And he is constantly molding you more and more into the image of his son. Because that is what he is making of you. Sons and daughters of faith. Remember, when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. He was saying he was in Christ. And that through the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ was in him. Isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit lives within us. He learned the ways of God's grace. He learned the art of living this life through daily spiritual discipline. He learned how to use every means that God had given in order to allow the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit to flood his soul. Please, if you learn nothing else from this message this morning, let it be that you take God seriously and learn to walk as a child of God filled with his peace and joy so that your life will glorify your Savior. Then you can know how to live in such a way as to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace you have shown to uh, your people. We know You have loved us because from the very beginning you chose us to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. You called us. You called us to this through your gospel that we might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So help us, Father. Help us to stand firm and hold to the teachings you have given us. May our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, who so loved us by his grace, give us courage and comfort along with hope. May he strengthen our faith and build our knowledge. Help us to grow in our good deeds and works. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.